is probably one of the biggest changes that the development of Zoom as a tool or other tools like it are really essential. But you can't overdo the Zoom either. That's one of the things that, because if you rely on that entirely, that can become a deadly experience as well. So, you know, thinking about, it's always about how you interact and structuring the learning experiences so that, that student is developing their judgment, their, their knowledge, and can apply what you're trying to engage them to learn. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Hey, Tiffany. I'd like to do a little shout out today to one of my favorite cartoon characters, Fred Flintstone, by just saying, yabba dabba do." You always leave me in these positions. I then don't know how to respond. <laughs> yabba dabba do." Yes. Walt gets that. Walt gets it. I get it. <laughs> We have a special guest today, Walt Pearson, joining us. It's so great to have you here, Walt. It's good to be here. This is week two on the Digital to Learn podcast. If you didn't get a chance to catch week one with Walt Pearson, please go back now and listen to that episode. It's wonderful. And then join us in this continued conversation. Without further ado, we're going to jump right back into what we were talking about last week on the Digital to Learn podcast. Well, Walt, you're the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Continuing Higher Education. So what research or researchers currently have your attention and why? Oh, well, let me just tell you a little bit about JCHE. So JCHE serves the leaders, administrators, faculty, and staff who work with adult or non-traditional or post-traditional students. And I'd say these students are often part-time, they're often almost always commuter students, and they're often employed. And I would say the area of folks would be students who are in credit and non-credit offerings in both traditional and more innovative formats. And a lot of the stuff that we do is focused on off-campus centers, online learning, accelerated programs, that sort of stuff. So we look for articles that are going to focus on how to serve and teach with all of these students in, in areas like developing new programs, effective online and distance learning, hybrid teaching to higher education, recognition of prior learning or prior learning assessment, social justice and DEI issues, and use of any technology to advance program design, teaching and learning and continuing higher education. So we've been very active lately with articles that focus on serving veterans, the many issues of teaching with adults, including online learning, adult student persistence, how do we support adult students' persistence, admissions and marketing, recognition of prior learning or prior learning assessment, and a lot more. So those are areas that we've been looking for is looking for articles in those areas. And if you look at the journal, it really has quite a bit of depth around those last areas veterans, uh, serving adult students, adult student persistence, uh, online learning, admissions and marketing, and recognition of prior learning. So, in those areas, we invite two kinds of articles. One is a research article, which is kind of a typical article where 
it's got a lot of uh, a literature review and it's got a thorough exploration either from a qualitative or quantitative perspective. But the other type of article that we're looking for is what we call ideas in practice. And so here's an area where I really invite your listeners to, to think about, do they have something that they've tried out that worked well and they would be interested in sharing that with the readers of the journal. Uh, those ideas and practice are shorter. They don't feature quite as large a, a literature review. But the important thing is that the writer address, how is this replicable another institution? So it may be unique to your institution, but if you can think about how it would be repeated in another institution, that'd be a really good article for that ideas and practice section of, of the journal. We probably publish about half of our articles ideas and practice and about half of them are research articles. So we, we, we are a practitioner journal and you say about who reads it, that's important. So last year we had 170,000 downloads of our articles. That's wow. a, lot of people, a lot of people reading wow. our, our research yeah. across the world. And this is a worldwide journal. We have editorial board members from Australia, from South Africa, from Ireland, from the United States and Canada. I don't know about our listeners, but I'm writing something down and that something is submit journal to submit article to. So I think Brad and I might have something for you. Happy to see it. We definitely do. So I hadn't heard about the second option. I mean, the study that I'm imagining could be a research option, but it naturally fits with the second option that you described about something that you tried that could be replicated. Plenty of data there, but really fits that category. So thanks for sharing on that. You know, the ideas and practice is really a useful category. I think so many people have tried something out and and they thought about it for a while. They went out and did some research to see what might work. They tried it out. They decided to test it, sort of see. Yeah, they have some results. Maybe they got a survey on the thing. Yeah. And they thought, well, hey, this has worked pretty well. And so they're kind of expanding it. But that's exactly the time when people should submit the article. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's the idea. We want to try to share research about stuff that works. Very cool. What are some trends you're seeing in the ideas and practice area? Oh, yeah. Well, in each of those categories I talked about, we've had well, one example recently was being more persistent in the outreach to veterans because veterans sometimes confront unique challenges and sometimes they're mixed in with the traditional students at the main part of the university. And so more persistent outreach to veterans was one example of a good ideas and practice article that we had recently. Another one was some varieties in the use of recognition of prior learning or prior learning assessment for an admission process in South Africa. That was an interesting one I thought was really helpful to try out. And sometimes the boundaries between research articles and ideas and practice articles gets a little blurry. I'm okay with that if it's a little blurry. If it expands into being a research article, that means it has a little more research in it. But we often think of research articles. We had an article which we just published recently, which was about who enrolls in online learning across the state of Arkansas. And one of the central conclusions of the researchers was, this is definitely a research article, but it has a lot of implications for practice. And it said what you might expect from what we know about the rest of online learning is that students tend to enroll in an institution which is about 
50 miles away from them. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely true in Arkansas. The closer the institution was, the higher the level of, of participation in online learning there. So these articles vary all over the map. They've been about everything. But uh, we just really, we're fond of this category. We like to have articles like this. Our editorial board is very equipped to judge the quality of these articles. They are practitioners themselves as well. Mm -hmm. So. Very good. One of the oh, things Mark. that comes to mind in what you just shared from that last study was we have Indiana Wesleyan Regional Education Centers throughout the Midwest and they have an amazing marketing team. But one thing they admitted to is that there happens to be a billboard just <laughs> a mile or so away from one of our regional education centers, our extension buildings that says, you know, IWU 100% online. <laughs> and it was kind of like, oh, you know, what a missed opportunity to say, going back to that study you're sharing, maybe it is 100% online, that particular program or some of the programs, but, and we happen to also be right here, like with an arrow right there, you know, just drawing attention to that physical space and the people that work there. So that's something that we learned and have been reflecting on too. You'll be happy to know, Tiffany, I took some spray paint and went down and changed that to 86%. So, that's been corrected. Oh, no. Brad, are you, are you the one I learned this from? Is that you that told me this statistic? or this? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not either confirm or deny. I don't know. All right. Well, if someone from IW listens and hears me draw out that observation, I'll deny it. And Mike Jones will go back and edit it out. So, but it's the truth. I mean, we all learn and it's kind of like, oh, there was no intentional desire to leave out our educational center. It just, you know, that's the marketing piece that we had at that time out there on billboards. So. Oh, and in some other locations, that would be a great billboard. Yeah. Just bad placement. Yeah. Well, that's one of the challenges of how do you market in an institution which has regional centers yep. as a main campus that it enrolls traditional students for and has an online program, which is entirely online. How do you do that? That's a complicated task and it requires a lot of care and balancing all of the messages and kind of, as you said, where you place the messages and how do you structure them? <laughs> you know, that billboard would have been great. We would have said online and in person mm -hmm. at this location. That yeah. would, you know, been really a useful billboard. But it's just one of those things where often marketing people are not as connected to the details as they need to be. And that's why I took that responsibility on at Loyola to make sure I was deeply engaged with the marketing so they would understand who we are, what we're about. And that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. I teach in the graduate psychology program and I've had numerous students talk about the research they did prior to selecting IWU, I was recently in a conversation with a prospective student that was referred to me by adult enrollment services, who said, I've done some research and decided not to come to IWU. And it makes me sad that I haven't dug into both of those. Like, well, what about this program was attractive to you? Or what made you decide not to come here? That would be some good data. And I'm sorry I missed it. Well, that's one of them central issues of marketing is, is to study both why people do come and why they don't come. Did they have a better financial aid offer someplace else? Did they find that there was an element of the program that wasn't present at your institution? You can't be everything to all people. True. Yeah. And it's clear that in the current environment, 
where enrollments are in a state of broad decline, that sharpening one's marketing focus is really essential. So our listeners can't see this, but Walt has in front of him on his desk a large Ouija board. What? We're going to ask him to fire that up and make some predictions about the future of higher education. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I think we're affected by a lot of trends right now. First, there's starting in the next couple of years, there's a decline in the core market for higher education, the graduating high school students. That's happening very clearly in the demographic data. You can look at who's rising in the high schools. It's, it's just going to go fall off the cliff here very shortly. So that's one thing that's a, a, a huge issue. Second is that there is a continuing decline in the enrollment by adult students in the nation's community colleges. That has historically been one of the sources for all of the four-year programs When the community colleges are rising, the adult enrollment at four-year institutions tends to rise also. So that decline in enrollment by adults in community colleges is is big. It's not a small trend, it's a large trend. And that's one of the huge challenges I think we face. Next thing is there's a decline in the belief, not the importance, but belief in the importance of the degree. That's despite all evidence to the contrary, that the degree has profound impact on lifetime earnings, on the quality of the jobs people get. There's so many ways in which the degree has a huge impact, but there's a decline in the belief in the importance of the degree. That's huge for us. And the final thing is that the really blistering job market where employers are starting to lower then degree requirements and say that they no longer require the degree. So those are all big trends and they're pretty negative trends generally for higher education. But I think that the future of the job market is heavily influenced by AI and robotics. And that has very positive implications for higher education, for the bachelor's degree in particular. And the jobs of our future, which are most at risk from AI and robotics, are physical jobs and what we call middle skill jobs. And I've have a piece that I published on this, which sort of can articulate the actual likelihood of automation of any particular, what are called ONET categories of jobs. And you can go on my webpage on LinkedIn and pull that up. It calculates that. The jobs that are least at risk are ones that involve judgment, writing, and creativity, where those are required elements of the job. Those jobs are extraordinarily difficult to automate and they feature skills and habits of heart and mind that I talked about earlier that are generally developed in bachelor's degree or or above studies. That's positive for four-year institution. And I think if we can make sure that we can articulate the ways in which our degrees help people prepare for the future job market, that's really important link to make uh, because right now, we would be hard pressed to answer the question, why should you go get a four-year degree? You can get a fairly good job right now without the four-year degree. But I think the future sort of points in the direction that being more and more important. Uh, And so the final thing I wanna say is we've had an explosion 
of experience with online learning across the world. And many people really loved it. You know, I think we had a lot of faculty members who sort of said, well, I don't want this. But I think a lot of people did come to realize it was a really powerful, useful thing to learn, especially where it's done well. And that's only going to get bigger as we move along, especially across the world. I think this is a worldwide trend. This didn't just happen in the U.S. It happened across the world. And so I think our leadership in online learning, we could articulate to a larger role across the world if we can figure out the mechanisms for doing that. So, so I think a series of negative trends, some really key positive trends, and this more recent experiment with online learning, which I think it has really positive implications for us as well. It seems to me that higher education has kind of an identity crisis. Because when you think about why do people go to college, especially adult learners, it's because of a job they want or a career they want to pursue. But then you hear many people in higher education say, oh, no, we're not about preparing people for jobs. We're preparing people to be higher level thinkers and all those kind of things that we say, which is which is true. But why can't we embrace both at the same time? Well, that's where I embrace the idea that our job is to help people to lead. You know, you think about most of the jobs that we're helping people qualify for are really in which they're going to need to lead in some way. We want them to be successful in their careers. And that is not as much about what we teach, but it's also about how we teach them and the ancillary elements of preparing them for their careers. An example of this is when I was at Loyola, one of the things that, you know, this finding that people want help with their careers Mm -hmm. is so profound, so strong that people clearly view their college debt from the prism of did the university help me get ready for my career? That is in the survey research. So it's not necessarily the work of the faculty to do that. It's probably all of the making sure we've got a really strong career function and that that works across the board and works for adult students as well as it works for traditional students. Traditionally, career services offices have thought of themselves as serving traditional students. That is not true. Adult students want help with their careers. They want our support in moving forward in their careers. Either they want to move up at their current organization or they want to qualify for a new job. And our work with them, both in class and outside of class, are really essential toward helping them get what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Well, funny, side note, I used to work on the traditional campus serving traditional age students, I should say the residential campus of IWU in the career office. And the phone calls that we received and the people that walked in the door most often were actually the national and global or the online adult students would walk in seeking career help. But we were there primarily to serve residential students. So it was either the adult students though walking in, or it was the parents of the traditional age students walking in and saying, can you help Johnny get a job? And we're like, actually, Johnny needs to come to us and say he wants a job. (laughs) So just kind of, uh, that's what I'm picturing when you're talking. Well, I think, you know, building the career development piece of the degree in from the beginning is what makes sense to me. Because if you're waiting until the last semester for them to show up at the career office says, now get me a job, well, that's really not going to work. No, um, it's not. <laughs> so how do we help them early on? And one of the things that I implemented at Loyola was a course which was not always popular, but it was important to do. 
to start engaging them about what were their goals? Where are you going with this? How will you be prepared at the end of this process, the two and a half or three years you're gonna spend with us while you're studying online for what you're gonna do in the next stage? If what you're doing is you plan to move up, let's talk to you about how you move up. And sort of how do we help the students be able to articulate and develop a set of objects that will be useful to them in whatever comes next in their job. So developing a portfolio of what they've learned and how they've learned it was another important part of that. So, and then having them help develop their LinkedIn profile, all of their interview skills, you know, pony up their resume. So the idea is that the degree should just be the conclusion of that career development process, uh, which they've started and been working on all the way through. That was the idea. And I think that really does work for the adult students. Well, we'd like to refer all of our listeners to Walter Pearson and his Ouija board. If you have any further <laughs> questions. <laughs> oh, you're picking on Walt, but Brad, I must say, I was thinking earlier when Walt did his faculty voice, just, just for a brief second, he did his faculty voice. He said, most, most faculty really enjoy teaching online. He said, but you'll hear some say, oh, I don't like that. I was going to say, you guys share the same disgruntled faculty voice, the same impression. <laughs> this is amazing. I thought, was that Brad or Walt? <laughs> we must all do that little, that little voice for the disgruntled faculty member. Well, I, I will admit to you, I hated teaching online until we started doing synchronous interactions with students. Mm-hmm. It was just simply writing back and forth. I hated that. But when I can see students and talk with them, game changer. Yeah. The way in which interaction happens and moving away from the completely asynchronous is probably one of the biggest changes that the development of Zoom as a tool or other mm-hmm. tools like it are really essential. But you can't overdo the Zoom either. True. That's one of the things that, because if you rely on that entirely, that can become a deadly experience as well. So, you know, thinking about, well, it's always about how you interact and structuring the learning experiences so that, that the student is developing their judgment, their, their knowledge, and can apply what you're trying to engage them to learn. Well, Walt, it has been fun having you on this <laughs> podcast. Just great insights and your vast experience has been very informative. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. We will follow up about the podcast, but we're also going to follow up with submission. I'm going to say it here for accountability from all of our (laughs) listeners and from Brad that we're going to submit something. You might not accept it or you might tear it apart, but we're still going to, we're going to try. So (laughs) be on the lookout for that. Good deal. Thank you everyone, all of our listeners for joining us on the Digital to Learn podcast. It's been so fun to hear from Walt Pearson. We're going to have resources, including some of the articles that he described, a link to the journal, maybe even a quote or two from John Dewey himself on our website, digitaltolearn.com. Please share this episode, like our page on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.